you so much. Oh, so exciting to be here. We are at the Alaska Before You Die Comedy Festival. Give it up for all the people making that happen. Hell yeah. This is, of course, Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies and what they mean to us. I'm your host, Kristen Lighty. So excited to be in Alaska. First time. Uh, I've eaten so many delicious meats. It's great. I love it. All right. You know, we got three amazing guests tonight, so I want to get started right away. Our first guest has an album called Dark Jeans. She's from Los Angeles. I want you all to lose your mind right now for Joanne Schinderly. I'll lose it too. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Joanne, you are actually from Wisconsin as well. I, yes. Right? When you said Los Angeles, my butthole pinched a little <laughs> bit. I was like, no, <laughs> that's just where I currently reside. Yeah, we're in Wisconsin. Oh, man. All over the place. Um, I, born in Madison, went to high school in Eau Claire, went to college in La Crosse a little bit, middle school in Onalant. Do you know all these places? Yeah. You were all it's, over. That is really the tour of Wisconsin. Yeah. A little time in Park Falls up north. That's Ooh, where horror Park stories Falls. Happen. That's a fun place. I, I used to go up there when I was real little. Oh, really? Yeah. For what? Uh, swimming at a cabin and getting covered in leeches. I, I guess that was <laughs> my family's main thing they loved. Oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> On purpose? No, no. It just happened. It just, oh, I mean, yeah, you're, uh, leeches, they're going to happen sometimes. Yeah, and they have that park up there where that guy, he's like an outsider artist that makes all the artwork with concrete and glass. They have a bunch of those. I feel like that's where a lot of like people that retire... They go up to Wisconsin and then they just go to scrap metal yards and they become artists. Yeah. I feel like there's a thin line between outsider artist and alcoholic. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When does it become just like, I'm, I'm going to stop hitting my wife. I'm going to start hitting the concrete. Yeah. Make some art out of it. Joanne, why don't you uh, tell the people a little more about who you are and what you do? Well, tight. I'm I'm a stand-up comic. Um, I absolutely hate horror movies we could get into that <laughs> i cannot stand them i um i grew up very catholic which is the trade of also being from wisconsin but uh, you just reminded me i'm excited i'm gonna be an episode of night court hell yeah coming up. Woo! So watch that do you know funny. what is your character can you tell us or is it hush, uh, i'm hush. a pregnant woman oh. because of course i am what have you uh, been put into Night Court for? Uh, well, when you say, I don't want to spoil the oh, episode yeah. for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you got to watch. Uh, but it is fun. It is fun. And uh, it was my first, like, TV experience where, so a lot of my jokes, I talk about how I get missed diagnosed as pregnant. Like, a lot of people on the street <laughs> are just like, oh, how far along are you? And so mm -hmm. it was a full circle moment to play a pregnant woman. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's hilarious. I used to love Night Court when I was little. Like, I knew if I got to Night Court, my parents weren't paying attention, and I could stay up through Johnny Carson as well. <laughs> so that's what I always try to do. So what is your relationship to horror? Oh, God. I grew up very Catholic where, like, it, to the point where, like, I thought that, like, praying got you out of scary scenarios. Like, I'm not going to get raped <laughs> if I pray. Oh. You know, kind of thing. Oh. Um, men get it. No, yeah. um, <laughs> but that's, like... It truly, like, we prayed, like, religion wasn't, like, forced upon me, like, in this, like, you better do this or the devil's going to come eat your pussy, you know? Like, that wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, like, religious like that, but it was just a very spiritual thing of, like, ghosts are real and they will haunt you, <laughs> but you have Jesus on your side, just ask him to help you. Um, I've lived in two haunted houses. Oh. Yeah, one in Park Falls. <gasps> Tell us more about that. That was terrifying. Um, when you, I don't know if you, if there's any homeowners in the room <laughs> um anyone me yeah. oh a couple okay oh well i'll be damned um 
where? <laughs> Green Bay, Wisconsin, baby. Okay, yeah. Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, just everyone's just rural America. Former type. mill towns. It's so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. We, we got build. We have roads. We got roads. Um, this haunted house was what? So I, I talk about haunted ownership because um, when you buy a house, if uh, someone died in there, they have to tell you. And so um, my parents didn't tell us that, but they knew. <laughs> um, and it was just an old man. He died in his sleep in uh, the primary bedroom. And um, the way that the house was, is like a soapbox house. Uh, so that just means it was like tall and skinny. But it had this really grand staircase that was like three big stairs and then like a landing and then like a big one and then another landing and then a big one, another Ooh. landing. And then this hallway and the bathroom. We had one bathroom. It was always at the second landing in that hallway and uh, right next to the primary bedroom where the man had passed and I was always scared I would hold my pee because I was always scared to go to the bathroom up there after dark um and my boyfriend's laughing he's like you still do that <laughs> <laughs> but I there I just remembered there was like moment I would the bathroom always freaked me out so I wonder if he maybe like killed himself in the bathroom Ooh. I do not know that mm. they said it, he died peacefully asleep but my mom's a liar um mm -hmm. Let's but get her on the phone right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she'd love to talk about it. But it was always just this creepy feeling. And then I remember one time, like, so I'd always leave the doors open. And uh, I would look down the hallway. And I just have this vivid kid memory of, like, the all the hallway uh, doors in there, like four of them. Just all these, like, uh, barbed wire fences, like, shooting down. And then, like, fire behind them. So that was a vision that I had as a child. Did my memory make it up? It was probably just a dream. But also, so you lived with Freddy Krueger. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> More so, I lived with a lot of porcelain dolls. <laughs> yeah. That was real in that house. My grandmother loved to buy us porcelain dolls, and I have two sisters. I shared a room with one of my sisters, and I was on the top bunk. But my mom didn't know what to do with all these porcelain dolls, so her theory was that she would uh, build a, a ledge of them up on the seal uh, like you know what i mean not on <laughs> so the seal, they're always looking at yeah you. so i was just sleeping eye to eye with fucking porcelain dolls <laughs> for like a year so that plays a lot into it mm. um i really just don't like scary stuff at all i don't like haunting things i read a lot of haunted wisconsin books it's a very mm. haunted mm -hmm. place mm -hmm. there's a lot of um native american burial grounds and stuff and yeah i never read like harry potter or anything i was just reading real life <laughs> hauntings yeah i'm very excited for this summer there's a tour through northeastern wisconsin where they basically put you on a little trolley and take you around where all the murders have happened yes <laughs> it's a rich rich history yes. my dad <laughs> supper clubs you know yes. supper clubs um my parents live in baraboo wisconsin oh yeah yeah and baraboo. there's a supper club like right around the bend obviously there's a bunch of them but we're driving and my, my we uh passed the portage penitentiary and my dad as we're pulling in, he goes, oh, that's where Jeffrey Dahmer was uh, caught and murdered. <laughs> Just some casual facts on the way to Local dinner. Local celebs. Yeah, on the way to a steak dinner, of all things. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious, what is the first horror movie you remember seeing? It just bits of, I think it was like The Shining. I didn't Ooh. like finish it kind mm -hmm. of thing. I know like Poltergeist was there too, where I'd always like try to do it, like, you know between your fingers and mm -hmm. then i was just like no my my life is haunted i don't need to watch that yeah poltergeist scared the shit out of me i couldn't stand static on a television for like my entire childhood yeah, yeah. i think the one that really got me was i think in like i was in eighth grade when the ring came out mm. and actually this movie we're gonna talk about is one of the producers of the ring too oh shit so there's like a lot of just like 
wet children. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah. Long hair is really fucking creepy too. It is. Yeah. I feel like if you see someone, I mean, I'm looking around the room here. Sorry, anyone. But super long hair, like you're haunted. <laughs> you have a haunted soul. <laughs> it's always stringy. Why? Got it off. This is just fashion advice. <laughs> It's an important intersection this podcast is ready to take on. Uh, For us to talk about today, Joanne has chosen last year's hit, Barbarian. Y'all seen it? Yeah, round of applause. Okay, so Bloody Mary, this movie is relatively new. We do go full spoilers, so if you haven't seen it yet, oh man, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but you know, get out. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, so Barbarian is the story of Tess, who comes to Detroit. She has got a job interview. She's going to be an independent film production assistant. It's going good until she gets to her Airbnb. And then there's a fucking guy there. Uh, His name is Keith. And, you know, you're uh, you're not sure what's going on. Uh, The plot unfolds, and we find out that the true horror is actually living in the basement of that home. And then uh, chaos ensues from there. So why did you choose Barbarian? Because it pissed me off. Oh, I was so angry watching this thing. I mean, in the beginning, round of applause if you've seen it. Okay. You know, in the beginning, it's very, I'm on the edge of my seat. Because I was like, oh my God, she's Mm going to get raped and murdered. We all know it. That's what the trailer's telling us. She's about to escape a rape. The devil's not going to eat her pussy tonight. She prayed, you know. But I was like on the edge of your seat. And it was so realistic in the beginning of like, oh, this very much could happen. How often do Airbnbs mix up probably happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the whole notion of like, oh, there's cameras in your Airbnbs. Uh, like, yeah. TikTok's really telling us to like check every crevice <laughs> of an Airbnb for camera. So I was like, oh, this is absolutely probable, you know? The mm-hmm. only thing that was weird was I'm like, of course they're like bringing Detroit into the mix. Yeah. Like, I- the scariest place on earth, you know? You know, I, I feel like Detroit gets a bad rap. I worked in Gary, Indiana for a year, and I Ooh. feel like places like that, they just use as poverty porn in movies. Yeah. So I, I don't like it when they do that, but I get what they're going for. Is Gary, Indiana still number one, like, worst city to live in? I mean, it's not great. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and not to make you go on record about it or anything. But yeah, so it was like, I thought, I was like, this is really probable, you know, the guy's creepy, and then all the little, like, uh, details they did in the movie of, like, panning over to make sure she's double-checking her locks, you know, Mm -hmm. and she's, like, finding his eye wallet, taking a photo, like, doing all the neurotic things that you do as a woman Mm -hmm. of, like, okay, I mean, first off, I wouldn't, I'd get the fuck, I'd probably sleep in my car. For Mm -hmm. some reason, that would feel safer to me than sleeping in a house with somebody else. Yeah, I, I would go to a Walmart parking lot, you know, yes. <laughs> it's just, you know. Yeah, I'd just be like, okay, well, I'm at a 24-hour diner tonight, that's mm-hmm. what we're doing. I would not say. So she did make some, like, like, in my mind, unbelievable mistakes in that regard, but I was like, it's a movie, of course. Um, but then, the movie quickly, you know, they kill off the Keith. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Keith should have believed Tess, that's all I'm saying, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then there was that, like, of course, the sexual tension of, like, him putting it, like, do you know how to put on a duvet cover, you know? And I'm like, that's fun. I want to play that game with my boyfriend. He knows how to clean sheets. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, they, they, they built that up. You're like, well, maybe the rape's going to, maybe she's, like, asking for it, you know? Like, um, that line. (laughs) 
That was a joke. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, but, uh, <laughs> there were so many instances where you were just suspicious of Keith. Like, he really wanted her to drink that tea. He made me nervous. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then exactly. he really wanted her to drink that wine. And yeah, the like, whole time mm. I was like, he's lying. He's not supposed to be there. He mm-hmm. owns this house. He's placating. He's, like, cosplaying as some artist or whatever. He randomly knows the exact person that she's there to interview with. Come on. Yeah. So that was like, I'm like, on the edge of my seat, he's going to kill her. Okay. And then he dies. I'm like, okay, what's happening now? And then from there on, it just was so fucking frustrating because this movie, I feel like it was just too late. It should have came out in like 2016, like right with the Me Too movement, Mm. because it's just about a rapist getting got for his actions Mm -hmm. a decade later, decades later, whatever. I don't know. I found it very frustrating and um, unbelievable after. I'm like, I want a current situation of a, of a murder, not like this, like, learn a lesson from being a rapist. Yeah. Well, even at towards the end, he was still trying. AJ was trying to say, I don't know if I'm a bad person. I might be yes. a good person who did a bad thing. Like, yes. no, dude, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> no, dude, you're a piece of shit. And we don't want to teach you anymore. Yeah. exactly (laughs) so i just thought that yeah i thought the movie it was like yawnfestusa.com we've heard of this forever yeah i mean it's exhausting being a woman and this movie (laughs) showed us (laughs) i do actually like this movie (laughs) (laughs) i thought i mean the barb the the monster-esque wow disgusting um very brava for how gross (laughs) that um, incest woman <laughs> was that part you know iconic tit in a mouth scene mm-hmm. if there's anyone who's ever jerked off to that scene text me i want to know how and why show of hands <laughs> who's done it yeah oh. oh we got one all right <laughs> um i like a strong powerful woman yeah oh. yes that i mean the little the baby room with like, there were so many questions open-ended like how did she get the video of the being a mom and breastfeeding you know mm-hmm. um why was he why did he lock why did the actual dad rapist lock himself in the room how did you get back there did he build out this dungeon what's going on yeah yeah frank is a a, a scary scary mystery that i i wouldn't have unraveled i wouldn't have gone that far into the basement i would have saw in the murder room and been like you know what i'm good i'm gonna get the yes. fuck out of this house yes the fact that Tesco's in the basement in the first place is mind-boggling. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the big themes of this movie is uh, fuck Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I stayed at one in Iowa, and the basement door was, like, nailed shut so that you couldn't open out, but you could open in. And part of me was like, yeah, I'll go see you. And then I was like, nope, 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 no. no. You, you know, <laughs> just go to bed. Go to bed, no. bitch. You know what happens. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. My very first experience with Airbnb was an absolute nightmare. It was in Austin, Texas, and I refused to go back to that fucking hellish place because of it. <laughs> Sorry to be so What happened strong. at your Airbnb? So I was there for a comedy festival, um, and I rented Airbnb for, for the first time. It was me and a couple other comics, but I had got there a day before. And this was like 2000. I don't know, 16 or something, where the internet was kind of on iPhones, but not really if you didn't have a good enough... It was like the uh, 
iPhone 4 or mm-hmm. something is what I had. The dark ages. Exactly. The dark. <laughs> it, it truly was. Um, but so I, I got this Airbnb. They made it look like it was this like condo-esque place, you know, that it was like stand that it was like basically standalone or just had one other thing. And I get there and it's one of those like spider web apartment complexes where you don't really know. And the guy never left the apartment number. So I was mm. like, great. Apparently, uh, he's in San Francisco, but was renting out an ap- like a place in Austin, Texas. So that was hard. I can't get on the internet because I'm like, I don't even know what number ha- thing, you know. So I have to like, <laughs> first up, uh, sidetrack. I, have, has anyone ever used public transportation in Austin, <laughs> Texas? Yes. <laughs> oh, not in Austin. No. It is <laughs> horrific. Um, it, it's so slow. It's like hours late. Doesn't go anywhere. I have all my bags. It's hot as hell. I'm wearing a dress and I have to walk up. I get, finally get off this like four bus system, have to walk up to this apartment, the spider complex. I'm sweating. I'm realizing there's a bunch of people on bikes going past me, but they're like slowing down past me and looking back. And I come to realize that my dress had gotten caught up in one of the bags (laughs) I was carrying. So I was just bare assing. Up to this Airbnb, but it was so hot, I did not notice it. So I was like, no wonder. But no one stopped to help me. They just were like, <laughs> made a couple loops, you know. Complimented. But then I get there, and then I have to go to this like convenience store, ask to use the Wi-Fi. They want to do it, blah blah blah. Turns out, finally get the key. It's just in this like box outside of the door. Open the door. It's a two-story like condo, zero furniture not nothing not a thing and I'm like what and I'm like looking through I'm trying to like look through these pictures but my internet's like low and I'm like there was a I distinctly remember a bookshelf or like something (laughs) a couch like there was nothing in here except for um a four pack of beers in the fridge with one taken so just three beers in out of a four pack and then a bed upstairs that had like the kind of sheets from like 1984 that are like the neon printed like the side of a water cup kind of thing um terrifying and so I was like I'm not staying here I'm not staying here at all um so I grabbed my stuff and then I (laughs) grabbed my made sure my dress was down and then walked back to the bus went to the festival one of my good friends shout out Shane Torres he was also in the festival and I was like Shane you gotta look at this you gotta look at this and uh he didn't believe me and he's like I'll just stay with you I'll come back and I'll stay with you that night and he walked in he was holy fuck <laughs> <laughs> this is terrifying and uh because he's like from Texas so he's like oh I don't know what you're so scared of and then we ended up like chair sleeping in the same bed like just like with our own clothes wrapped around <laughs> just like scared to touch and thing he put like a, a chair under the like every doorknob in the house to make sure he like found a chair I don't even know like we went to go get chairs <laughs> it was terrifying and then ironically the next day we went to out to brunch with somebody who actually was a te- new tech guy who working for Airbnb he's like this is bad so then he called like whoever he needed to and they didn't believe me that I they're like well we called the guy in San Francisco who owns a house and he says you're lying he says it's great yeah he <laughs> says he says everything's there and I was like <laughs> there's nothing in this house so I took pictures I had to go to a library to get on the internet to upload pictures to send it and I finally got my fucking hundred and ten dollars back oh my god but that anyways terrible the first Airbnb I stayed at was actually in Detroit I didn't understand, though, that I was renting someone's living room. Ah! (laughs) 
And uh, so I slept on their couch while there were like 10 other people in the house. And I felt real safe, real great. Uh, Weird. <laughs> yeah. How much did you pay for that? Like 50 bucks. <laughs> did the, Was it a picture of the couch? No, no. It was like the whole house. Like, ooh, look. Oh, look what you get with other people. Yeah. I, I should have known it was too good to be true. But now with cleaning fees, I don't do Airbnb anyway. They're crazy. Uh, so, yeah. What other themes jumped out at you in this movie? Mostly the whole thing of like, oh, you're going to pay for your sins of, you know, you may, you're going to get caught in the end, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I did think it was so fucked. And like, I remember screaming at the TV at the very end uh, when what's his name? AJ is mm -hmm. like he loses the gun because, of course, men are idiots. <laughs> yeah. Like, why? <laughs> of course, he lost the gun. Um, and then he throws her off yes. like the diversion. Because he's like, oh, the, the beast is in love. You know, this is her baby. So if I sacrifice her, you know, and I was like, oh. I'm getting heated. I can't even make full sentences. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I realized that. Just the themes of like, just exactly. Kicking it to the ends. Of, like, we didn't need to know that there was the guy still alive in the room. Right. I mean, it tied the whole movie together, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he killed himself was kind of nice. Yeah. Took care of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but like, why did he kill himself then? I kept being like, why didn't he kill himself earlier? Why did it take some other person to see him do it? But movies. I think it was because AJ had mentioned, we're going to get the cops. Oh, yeah, here. The cops. And then Frank was like, oh, no, thank you. Also, where were the cops this whole time? If that neighbor guy was like, don't go in there. If everybody knew what was happening, but nobody called out. Was mm -hmm. he the mayor or something? A little political humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the theme there is like, as women, we got to stop giving people the benefit of the doubt. Um, yes. <laughs> AJ. Yeah, she went back in to save him. Back in to save him. She He shot her. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he threw her off the water tower. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many chances do you get? A lot. Hmm. Men. <laughs> too many. Too many. In my heteronormative life, too many chances, man. Yeah. So I, I know you're you're frustrated with this film, but what are your favorite parts? I my favorite parts of it. I mean, there were some laugh out loud parts of it. I do like when she had when they were in like the dungeon thing together and Tess had been down there, you know, for undisclosed amount of time and AJ Fritz gets gets there and the she's the monster lady's like drink the milk, mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. he's like, no, 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 not gonna drink the milk. And she's like, just drink the milk. She wants you to be her baby. And the fact that uh it was just a funny scene of like how childish <laughs> the whole idea was like it could have been anything it could have been but the fact that this um mother figure was it just tied women themes together so much of how the power struggles but then like how tits are actually overpowering the whole situation you know <laughs> <laughs> to be honest she wants him sucked he doesn't want to suck it she's gonna try to kill him for it you know yeah it was fun to see that power reversal that's why I feel like tits should be in power at all times. I mean, they kind of are, right? That whole theory of people like, you can get away with anything because you got a good rack. <laughs> <laughs> I did grow up in the 80s, so yeah, that, that was a thing. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> all right, do you have any final thoughts on Barbarian? <laughs> no, I did not do a great job today explaining this movie. <laughs> you were a delight. <laughs> 
but it truly it, it truly like i don't think i've ever watched a movie where i've gone from true terror like actually being terrified at the beginning edge of my seat to like wait what <laughs> you know <laughs> and then just like angry yelling at it drink the fucking milk dude and then like getting back and then <laughs> upset that tess is giving too many chances you know um, but then at the very end, I was like, she has to win. Like, Tess has to stay alive, mm -hmm. you know? And, like, I thought it was kind of nice of the last scene of her just, like, walking back. I was like, now she still has to do the fucking manual labor <laughs> of walking her shot ass all the way to get some new help. Because mm -hmm. the journey's never ending. <laughs> when you have a huge rack. <laughs> it's endless responsibilities. It's <laughs> a nightmare, <laughs> to be honest. Well, thank you for coming on Bloody Mary. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Yeah, is there anything coming up you want people to know about? Uh, we got the Night Court episode airing soon. And yeah, watch the Night Court episode. Um, and uh, donate to the festival's food drive. It's such a cool thing that they're oh, doing. Yeah. I'm sure the link's going to be up. But uh, thank you before you die fest for having me. I yeah, appreciate it. clap it up for Joanne. Welcome, Alaskan comedian Becky Bronstein. Hey! Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. Ooh. So long time ago, Becky was on when we were at Beast Village together. Was yeah. that like 2000? Des Moines, mm -hmm. Iowa. I, who knows? <laughs> time is a construct, Kristen. <laughs> it really is. Uh, so what's new and exciting now? What have you been working on? What have I been working on? You know, a lot of, a lot of indoor stuff. Um, I <laughs> I'm an indoor kid as well. Uh, I co-wrote an award-winning comedy TV pilot. We'll see where that goes. Called Cancer Culture, about my cancer experience. Whoa. We're, we're going to be filming a short of it. So that's... No, um, I just directed a music video. First thing I've ever directed on camera. I am also in it. Um, got got a couple TV credits that my mom is real proud of. Um, I Shrill, saw you on Shrill. Chad. Oh, like, uh, thanks. <laughs> Trinkets on Netflix. That's still up. Uh, uh, you know, to doing comedy headline last night at Hell Coots, yeah. which is, uh, for those who don't know, is a, a, a multi-chambered bar in Anchorage, Alaska that used to be just a bar with a lot of sawdust on the floor. Um, and also vomit in it, which made it into like sort of an oatmeal. And now <laughs> they can do live comedy there, which blew my mind when I first heard that was happening. <laughs> yeah, I did Thursday night there in the, I want to say it's a basement. It's not a basement, but uh, it was really fun. I had a great time. Good. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, no, it's been, this festival has been fantastic. Yeah, yeah, very good. Clap it up for all the producers here at yeah. Before You Die Comedy Festival. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Becky, how do you feel about horror? Horror, um, you know, my life has been uh, pretty up and down. So, like, I tend not to seek out uh, extra extra frights as an anxious <laughs> person. Um, had hell of a childhood. I've got a hell of an anxiety disorder, uh, cancer survivor, PTSD there. I'm, like, I'm not tuning in for hostel anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no. real life is such an adrenaline rush. Um, I, yeah, no, I'm, I, I support entertainment. I support joy. If you enjoy horror, good for you. I will never judge anyone for being into it. It's a hard word to say. Horror, horror, <laughs> horror, horror. Yeah, no, I don't know. My, um, what do you say, really? Um, I've, I've, I've seen horror films. I tend not to watch them on purpose, um, but sometimes they come up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't have uh, strong feelings about it. I think jump scares are cheap. I think I said that before last time I was mm -hmm. on the pod, but I'll, I'll say it again. <laughs> Anybody can flash some shit on a screen. Yeah. Do and while attention, America, while you're listening, and indeed the world, 
uh, those of you who make films and TV shows, please don't put flashing lights or striped patterns in your programs because they can contribute uh, migraines and seizures in, in the people watching. And I'm just going to start saying this on every platform I'm on now because no one knows about it and it sounds insane, but I promise it's a real thing. Look it up. Yeah, I don't care for that either. I support your mission. Yeah, I was chatting with a friend the other day at the festival, and he told me he thought horror was unnecessary. And I was like, oh. I feel like we could be friends. That sounds like something Man, I would Martin. I do love horror. I love it as a, you know, a vehicle for metaphor about True. the world we live in. So now that's, that's kind of, talking. you know, and I feel powerful when I get to turn horror off and be like, oh, my life's not that bad. Yeah, that's a great point. That's an excellent yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, it's like one thing you can turn off. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So what's the first horror movie you remember seeing? So the first, the first movie that horrified me, um, <laughs> I saw as a child, uh, and it's 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 older than than even me. It's called um, the Nutcracker Fantasy. Mm. Um, has have, have any of you seen this thing? Yep. Scarred me for a very long time. I could not like I it, it's it was supposedly meant for children. Um, I think I think it was made in Japan. I want to say, and it's very like stop motion, uh, just like the creepiest thing, based on sort of the story of the Nutcracker. But like, you know, dolls and like little little mice like singing terrifying things and just like a lot of laughing and a lot of like yeah shaky camera angles and like weird voices and there's a creature called the ragman that'll get you if you're not asleep at night and like this was like made for children and at <laughs> Christmas time and like very I don't know why my parents recorded this on VHS for us, but I watched that and could not watch it again for until I was twenty two years old. And even then wow. I was afraid. Like I that was awful. The first, um, the first horror movie I saw on purpose was probably The People Under the Stairs. <gasps> I love that movie. That was a weird one, but like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not scared by the typical horror movie stuff. Like, you know, I'm not afraid of Freddy and Jason and whatever. Like, I'm, I'm afraid of like plausible, like things that could happen, you know, and like creepy people in like mm -hmm. crazy houses, like totally could happen. Also, like, never mind. I'm, I'm going off on like a million. No, go, we go with it. Go. <laughs> no, just that guy, the the dude who played, um, what was his name? Like, um. It was like Flea or like, I don't know, he had like a one word name. It was like Scratch or Itch or something. I don't know. He's been in like a ton of shit, like just sort of in the background. And he never gets enough credit. And I wish I had his name in front of me. I don't. But the actor who played that guy is Roach, wasn't it? Roach. He like had a hard time talking because they messed up his tongue. Oh, yeah, yeah. God yes. bless that guy. He's amazing. He was in the Hebrew Hammer, had a small part in that. He's like, he, he shows up in everything. He never gets enough credit. Guy, I wish I had your name. God bless you. We'll give him a special <laughs> shout out in the credits of the episode. <laughs> Writing it down right now. So uh, for us to chat about tonight, Becky has chosen uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yeah. Do we have fans? Of has anyone seen this? Really? One person? Yes. All right. <laughs> this is for you. Oh, <laughs> just for you. <laughs> uh, so this is a one, one um, season television show, I believe, put out by Comedy Cartoon Network? Uh, no, this is a... This you, is a you take it. This <laughs> is a British TV series uh, put out by Channel 4 in the UK. Almost zero Americans have seen this. Um, I am a huge fan of British comedy, so uh, it was inevitable that I was going to see this. The cast of this show is unbelievable. Um, if you know anything about British comedy, like, you, you have to see this show. It's very cult and sort of underground even over there, but, like, you know, I, I want to say... Your, your entry points are some of the people in it. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you watch What We Do in the Shadows, for example, you'll know who Matt Berry is, who is one of the funniest people on the planet. Um, he's in it. Um, if you have heard, uh, everybody knows who Noel Fielding is, right? Like, British Bake Off, that sort of thing. He's got, he's got some, like, a small couple of guest roles in it. Mighty Boosh, like, they're, they're in it. 
Um, Richard Iowati is the co-creator, and he is in it. And I think he might be my favorite comedian. He may be the funniest person on the planet. He was the co-creator with another dude who, like, probably not a household name, but, like, uh, they, they did this as a stage show initially, and then it got turned into a TV series by Channel 4. And believe it or not, the guy who has directed the Paddington movies was involved in this. <laughs> I shit you not. So, like, whatever universe, like, your entry into the genre could be Paddington. It could be what we do in the shadows. Like, there's there's many paths into this, and, like, you will not be disappointed. Oh, yeah, the IT crowd, too. IT crowd. Yep, yeah. yep. A lot of overlap there. Yes. Okay, so what do you think drew you to British humor? Why do you why do you love this so much? You know, uh, the first stand-up comedian that I remember enjoying and seeking out was um, Susie Eddie Izzard, um, mm -hmm. who at the time was going by the name Eddie Izzard, and they still do go by that name. Sometimes it changes. I, I let them decide what they like to be called, um, and they it immediately became my favorite comedian. Um, I had never heard anyone uh, do comedy like that. It was very um, imagery-filled. They talked about history. They talked, I mean, it was just like, uh, I don't know, as, as a young, gifted, you know, overly precocious teenager, I thought, holy shit, like, maybe that's, I, maybe I could do something like that. And I've always gravitated towards that sort of, like, very verbal, like, witty, sort of, like, um, they don't, they don't shy, like, shy away from, like, intellectual comedy and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, for some reason, I, I watch more British comedy than American comedy these days. I'm just into it. Mm -hmm. I get it. I don't know. Yeah, I really I hadn't seen it before, and I greatly enjoyed watching it. I watched it nice. twice. Oh, uh, very fun. Okay, so out of all the like horror picks in the world, though, why did you choose Dark Place? <laughs> because this show is it's a very clever parody satire of a horror TV series. Like what they're doing is you've got these people who so you've got the cast who are playing characters, stay with me, and those characters are then playing characters in a fictional show within the show. And it's hard to explain unless you just see it. But so basically what they're doing is they, they put together this, this fake show that they're sort of doing commentary on that is just like it, they cost 20 bucks to make this thing. And they, <laughs> they've, but they've worked so hard and put so much effort into it that they make it look like about five bucks. You know what I mean? Like it's that sort of 1980s, like the, the ridiculous special effects. And there's just sort of like people, you know, bad editing. There's somebody who like throws a cat into a scene <laughs> and you see it like, and they, they do this intentionally to sort of parody these, these 1980s horror series. Um, and the character Garth Marenghi is a fictional horror book writer who is just so self-absorbed, egomaniac, thinks he's the best ever, you know, and like his character is playing in this TV show that was supposedly based on one of his books, an even more egomaniac, self-obsessed doctor in a hospital called Dark Place. You don't even have to understand the plot of the show to enjoy it, promise, I promise. Like it's, it's just insanely hilarious from minute to minute. Every little detail, oh, it's... Uh, my favorite line that he said, he said, uh, uh, I've written more books than I've read. Uh, like, that was a flex for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another one that he says is, um, I, I know some authors who use subtext and they're all cowards. <laughs> <laughs> Dude's incredible. I, yeah, that's Matthew Holness. Um, he plays Garth Marenghi, who then plays Dr. Rick Douglas in the show within the show. And he's got a, he's got a book out that I'm actually reading right now called Terror Tome. And I got, I, yes, I got a signed copy, of course. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. So within uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, what yes. themes stick out to you? 
themes yeah. um what a question <laughs> <laughs> so okay so it because it is sort of a parody satire thing they um this came out in 2004 um when when tv was very much you know the wild west both in america and over there you know in terms of like a lot of cringy like ooh, that wouldn't happen today kind of stuff but they, they were maybe a little a bit ahead of their time with um, kind of satirizing how, like, you had, like, overt sexism mm-hmm. in shows like that. Like, they will have, there's a woman character on there, uh, and that is Alice Lowe playing Madeline Wool playing Dr. <laughs> Liz Asher. And she um, she shows up to the hospital in, like, episode one and is, <laughs> like, in the lobby with the receptionist, like, I'm here to apply for the doctor job, you know? And they're like, <laughs> you know, no, you, you don't have time to go to the bathroom. Here comes your supervising <laughs> doctor. And it's just like... And, you know, there's a lot of casual, like, references to, like, you know, she's trying to help in a situation. And then, you know, um, Richard Iwati's character, the the hospital manager, will be like, you know, stop stop standing over there dreaming about lipstick and help me. You know, like, <laughs> and they're, they're doing this to sort of poke fun at how, like, sexist things were at the time. But things were also sexist yeah. at that time. So I, I do love there's a scene where they kind of, like, reprimand Liz for something in the workplace. And then they flash to her and she's got, like, mascara all the way down her face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's and she's got like psychic powers and like no one listens to her ever. And uh, yeah, it's great. Okay, that uh, that that's my favorite episode. Episode two, Hell Hath Fury, where she discovers her powers. Sure. Yeah. And they keep saying it's her time. <laughs> she's yeah. just oh, on her yeah. period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Matt Berry says something like, "If I had to feel sorry for myself five days out of the week, this hospital would go to shit." Or like, yeah, it was like, oh my god. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Yeah, I did write in my notes. One of my big themes was being the only woman in your department rules. Uh, I have been there. Totally. Yeah. I mean, themes are tough. Like definitely that sort of like egomaniac character is explored quite a bit because you have, you know, actors playing the people who are playing actors in the show and they're all they're doing like DVD commentary style thing. Like this is a show we used to be on and talking about how great they are and like how like fantastic everything they do is and like you know this is going to be the best thing since quantum leap like because that was their and then so like yeah it's just um yeah every everybody in it just takes themselves so seriously they're a hundred percent committed to everything they say and it just it gives it that really like i just like i can't believe what they were able to accomplish with like such a you know short run a, a low budget it was like kind of a you know a test run show but they really like they could have run for like five more seasons. This is hysterical. But they all they all started doing things, you know. So I mean, yeah, yeah. They went on to make such great projects. Yeah. Uh, I would enjoy a couple more seasons of this. Totally. Uh, I, I like the other the other theme that really jumped out at me is you need a rooftop to reflect on. You know, yeah, the end yeah. of every uh, end of every episode, you yeah. see Garth and he's summing up the episode and having you know just majestic thoughts and and some of those thoughts include quotes like and i hope i get this right <laughs> at the end of the episode he says and then rosy fingered dawn thumbed open the crack of this town or whatever <laughs> like it's just i mean i don't know man like yeah th- you gotta see it it's hard to explain and i feel like i'm i'm having to explain it to people who have no clue what i'm like someone turns into broccoli like you just gotta go with <laughs> You go with it. It's just—it's sort of these supernatural occurrences in a hospital. There's like, but but yeah, again, like it's not about the plot. This is not—you know—it's just hysterical, like from moment to moment. What are your favorite parts of the show? So my favorite, my favorite things about it are one thing for sure is so Richard Iowati, the co-creator, um, his character that he uh, created and plays is sort of like he's like um, Garth Marenghi's publisher. 
and he's sort of a hybrid of like Donald Trump and Hugh Hefner, if that makes sense. <laughs> just sleazy, like, you know, just smoking cigars in the interviews and just very sleazy. And then, but he, he's, he we- weasels his way into this fictional show and is very candid about not being able to act. So what he does <laughs> in the show is everything you were not supposed to do as an actor on a TV show. He looks straight into the camera sometimes. <laughs> he's like, I mean, just looking, looking around, not connecting with the others. He's reading intense speeches as if he's just, you know, like reading it off of a cue card. Ah, oh, you know, my Oz is cross and he's got a lawnmower. Ah, like it's this very like, um, but it takes a very skilled actor to play a bad actor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, it's just fantastic. And then all the little rich details that they put into this. Like there's a scene in the first episode where they're in a cemetery and there are like gravestones that are like waving in the wind. Cause you can tell like that, and that's intentional. Like they're not, you know, really made out of stone. There's, you know, he's like shooting shotguns at, at nothing while like people are running around. The it's, it's just those little details that make it seem like, you know, like sort of that, that cheap, bad, like 80s kind of show. Just make it what it is. And then the absolute commitment of Matt Berry. I cannot say it enough. Like he, every word he says, he just believes 100%. You know what I mean? And that's what makes that so funny. Yeah. And we get a music video from him. Yes. Which, a uh, music video with, yeah, with Matt Berry in it. And, and Richard Iowati is like rapping in it. Like if you, <laughs> if those names ring any bells in your mind, like tune the F in. I, I do love Lerner's one aside he had where he was talking about never acting and uh, it was like in the documentary part of the show and he said, I haven't acted since. Some say I didn't act during. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he said they, they didn't want an act. They wanted the truth, you know. And th- so actually, so Dean Lerner, which is that sleazy publisher character that Richard Iowati plays, he got a spinoff that is even less well-known um, called Man to Man with Dean Lerner. And it's sort <laughs> of a, a talk show that d- that the character Dean Lerner does with um, Matthew Holness playing various other characters and, and one time Garth Marenghi in that. And it's just sort of gives, it gives Dean Lerner a chance to explore his sleaziness to the full potential. Like he does sort of a parody of like The Apprentice called The Lerner where like he rounds up a bunch of kids and there's like a bunch of dudes and like one girl and like he just like tells all the dudes that they're trash and they're garbage. He calls one of the guys a fucking toilet and then <laughs> hires the girl to like wash his cards. It's just I, I I don't know. I'm not doing it justice, but like just check it out, man. It's on Pluto. You gotta see the shit. <laughs> Uh, my other favorite part was they talked about how each episode was eight minutes under, so they incorporated a lot of slow motion running. <laughs> yeah. They- <laughs> <laughs> yep. They said any scene without dialogue is eligible for slow motion. That was their thought process. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, any uh, any more favorite parts? I got it. I mean, like it's the I love the cameos from like I'm not cameos guest guest stars from like the people they have like they got. You know, Julian Barrett and Noel Fielding from the Mighty Boosh showed up in it in various mm-hmm. roles. Like, Julian Barrett played, played the priest. I think he played that a couple of times. Noel Fielding played, like, a, a monkey man who was, like, peeing on people, um, <laughs> which uh, tracks. I mean, if you've seen his work. Uh, they got Stephen Merchant to show up and just play the chef in that one where she... Oh, yeah. He, yeah, like, and he's, like, screaming about the chicken and just, like, running <laughs> around with a knife and, like, hacking stuff up, and he's just, like, complaining. Like, they got great people to just, like, pop in and out of this. And, yeah, like, it's just... It's the weirdest thing. And, again, like, you, you don't even have to know what's going on. It's just every single minute in it. And you can rewatch it a 100 times and still find new things that are just, like, so funny because they put so much care into every single detail. I mean, like, and I, I bought the book. I mean, obviously, I'm hooked, you know, <laughs> so, like... <laughs> 
Yeah, I am truly thankful you brought it into my life. I really enjoyed I, it. I love that. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and I mean, I like I could recommend six or seven other probably like British comedy series <laughs> that are tangential <laughs> to this one, but I'll I'll try to rein it in. Sweet. Uh, any uh, any final thoughts? Final thoughts. Oh my god. I mean, you know, uh, drink plenty of water. Um, <laughs> <laughs> register to vote and vote. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I um, yeah, if, I think you should check this out. America, it's it can be difficult to find some of these series, but um, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, you can watch, I believe, still on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on Pluto for free. Man to Man with Dean Lerner, the spinoff, is also on Pluto for free. I think and on YouTube. Um, all of this might be on YouTube actually, but um, yeah. So you you might have to have a bit of a search for it, but I I cannot recommend it enough, especially if you are a fan of you know Matt Berry, Noel Fielding, those people you might know like. You will become a fan of the other people very quickly as well if you check it out. Hell yeah! And yeah. Uh, is there anything coming up you want people to know about? Uh, you know, definitely. I uh, that that music video that I directed and am in is called "Hey New Zealand" by the Xbats, and it is on the Garner Records label YouTube channel. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the first thing I've ever directed on camera, and I am also in it. So please definitely watch that. And uh, yeah, coming up. What's coming up? Who knows? Uh, the future is a blur. It's <laughs> 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 we. <laughs> what's coming up for any of us, really? What does it all mean? Why are we here? <laughs> Death, meaning? Have, I mean, wh- what do you think's next for, for humanity? I don't think, uh, I, don't, I think maybe we're on an upswing. I, do I have my you? fingers crossed. You're the first person I've heard say that in about 10 years. I mean, I just feel that good because in Wisconsin we won our Supreme Court election. So I I'm guess. still that is good news. I'm still riding high on that. Uh, That's great news. Yeah. Yeah. As someone from Alaska, like who's now like living in Portland, Oregon, like I just yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to find that silver lining. Like, where are we going? But. Michigan just overturned their right to work law too. So what is, we're in, we're in like the, the, the Midwest states are like coming up. Like yeah. what is this? <laughs> it only took a couple decades. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this is good. This is good. Yeah, they they say society's going to collapse in what twenty forty. So yeah, we, we got a few like years left. Well, party till then, right? Yeah. Like what did Prince Prince said something about this partying? That was nineteen ninety nine. Sure. Yeah. Know. No, but it was you know I mean, we've we're still been going strong. We're out of time. Then. We're not out of time, though. There's plenty of time. Life is short. Seize the moment. Uh. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I do have a thing. I have a thing that you can watch. Okay. So uh, during during the lockdown COVID times, I started making content because that's what they want you to do. Um, I have an animated history comedy series oh. on YouTube and TikTok. Got over a million combined views on TikTok and barely anyone has seen it on YouTube, but you should watch it on YouTube because you can watch the whole episode and not have it cut up into chunks. But yeah, microcosmic story time with Becky. Uh, animated history comedy stories similar to drunk history but sober and I do the animations myself in like Photoshop so they are janky as shit again which is why mm-hmm. I love a good like low budget duct tape it together DIY make it yourself production because I feel like those are often better than like you know throw a bunch of money at it and you know anyway so yeah if you're looking for low budget uh, history comedy with with me just talking way too fast and doing like janky animation tune in to uh, YouTube Becky Bronstein it's Becky Bronstein everywhere because that's my name, BeckyBronstein.com. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what are some of the historic topics you've covered? Um, I have covered Timothy Dexter, uh, America's first rich weirdo. Oh. Um, I have I don't covered know who that is. Uh, the the epic music beef between Joseph Stalin and um, I'm blanking on his name, Dmitry Shostakovich. 
<laughs> yeah, they got it. Like this, this is the most insane thing. But yeah, they they got into a crazy like you know bitchy feud over like some seriously lame stuff. Yeah, and also the 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 Earl of Essex who sneaked into the Queen's bedroom. That's a fun one. Oh. Um, and I got I got one in the can that I'm working on animating right now, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty exciting. It's got some goth undertones. Ooh. I will say. Yeah. I so, love it. I can't yeah. wait to watch all these. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Uh, clap it up for Becky. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Are you ready for your final guest? He is in town for the festival from Seattle, Washington. Very hilarious. Clap it up for Derek Sheen. Hey. Hello. 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 Hey, thanks for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me. I, I'm, I was a little late because I, I drove back from Homer, Alaska, uh, and I'm 53, and now those drives kill me. Yeah. I didn't realize that long drives are the worst. Yeah, I thought I was going to go see your show last night after mine, and then my boyfriend informed me Homer is like three hours away. <laughs> it's so far away. It's the, we're at the end of the world, by the way. I mean, it's fucking bananas. Like, to go that far out, too, and I was like, we're even farther away from everybody. Like, <laughs> think of all the bodies that are just lining the fucking roadways out there, and no one will ever find them. Brought to you by the Tourism Board of Alaska. <laughs> Come see us. That's what yeah. they say. So, Derek, why don't you tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stand-up, late-in-life stand-up comic. Uh, taught music for a long time, big horror fan, writer, uh, who, uh, all kinds of stuff. Okay, you know, I dabble. I'm mm -hmm. not a non-committal person uh, because I grew up in a very weird, fractured environment, so I just uh, got a lot of interests, and I don't apply myself to anything. <laughs> I think it's called a, a so, jack-of-all-trades, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, real jack-of-all-trades. Master of none. <laughs> master of none. Okay at some, but not master mm -hmm. at anything. When did you start comedy? Uh, I, I, well, okay, so weird story. I loved, I mean, my mom raised me on two things, horror movies and comedy. Ooh. So I loved stand-up as a kid, but I, uh, and all kids, by the way, this is not unique to me, suck at it. <laughs> kids are only funny on accident. And, uh, but I, I, my mom really pushed me into it and wrote, I wrote jokes and I, I got a little manager. Well, he was normal size. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I got a manager and I did some state fairs. And uh, and it was the most awful experience of my life. I was going to ask, what's yeah. the what's the scene like at the fair? Oh, it was pretty bad. And they all <laughs> wanted to come see the, the they just wanted to come see the the little kid who was terrible at comedy. And they were like, he's trying. They were some reason that was entertaining to people. And they were like, look at that little guy failing, but he's trying. <laughs> look at that. That's adorable. And then they went to 4-H and they were like, those are udders. And then uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I got stage fright as a result of it. Mm. And then I got into music because uh, I wanted to be on stage. I got an early uh, um, gift uh, from the local theater guy who got me uh, um, into the back door of the Seattle theater group so that I could start doing makeup. Cool. So they started teaching me how to do casting, life casting, and so I started doing that at home early on. I did all the makeup for all the kids in the neighborhood. Oh, that's uh, cool. Halloween, the day before Halloween or the day of, I had a line around my house of kids waiting to sit in the chair for an hour Did while you I do either like prosthetics and stuff too. I didn't do any. I only once because it required a lot of stuff. But I the sh the teacher at the junior high school let me use the kiln to throw stuff in all the time. Wow. So I I loved that, but I wanted to be on stage. I loved performing. I mm -hmm. was you know I was a big theater nerd even as a kid, and 
got into music because I felt like I could be on a stage with 40 other people and no one would look at me, but I could still be up there. And then I started getting the, the, the gnawing sensation in my 30s, like, I want to talk mm. more than I want to play. Mm. I think that's out of laziness. <laughs> I didn't want to carry equipment. And I was like, what's easier than this? Oh, yeah, just yakking. <laughs> so I started comedy again in, when I was 35. Oh, okay. And you taught music. What did who did you teach? Uh, you know, I I would I uh, what's funny is most of my guitar students are actually like professional musicians now. Damn. But nine, I I had a weird I taught mainly young women. And I think it's a because I was like I was incredibly safe and trustworthy and I I really kind of pushed myself as being like cuz most guitar teachers were creepos. Mm-hmm. And so that was my big I had thing. a guitar like, teacher. I'm, yeah, I'm not a creep. I'm not a creep. <laughs> Checks out. So the majority of my students were women and and I was very successful and I had I had a pretty good success rate with teaching people who went on to play professionally. Uh, nobody that is known, but they're all making, you know, they're all making money doing it, which is great. That's awesome. Uh, and I'm still friends with most of them. But I loved it. I loved music because it kept me busy. And uh, it's it's another creative thing I could do. But stand-up is the thing I love the most. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've seen my stand-up, which if you haven't, you're okay. But but (laughs) it is very dark. And it's kind of, the you know, I think it's born out of, A, uh, you know, a love of horror, but also being raised in a very uh, toxic, you know, abusive household. Uh, Horror was great for me to grab onto because it's a fear that you can control. And uh, that's the one thing I really, even as a young kid, mm-hmm. I, I, I went into horror because I loved being scared, knowing that there was an end to it and I could control it. Mm-hmm. I could stop it. I could fast forward it. I could also, I could in, I can uh, uh, sort of absorb the narrative any way I wanted to, which was so different from home, my home life, which was unpredictable horror. Mm-hmm. So I, I've always been a fan of being able to dip my toe in the water uh, and and I love being scared, which doesn't happen often with horror. I you know mainly it's grand guanal, lots of blood and gore, which I'm not as big a fan of. I want to be mm-hmm. scared shitless. Like I love The Exorcist not because of the special effects, but because of how fucking awful it makes me feel. That it just keeps going and it just keeps getting worse. And there's and th- to me that that was like oh that's a horror that's always kind of penetrated me more than anything else is the loss of control mm-hmm. uh, so i but i love i love horror i love all the aspects of it i you know i was that kid in the 80s who just come to school with a book bag full of like dean Koontz and stephen king and and mm-hmm. mencken and lovecraft and before i realized how problematic everything was but <laughs> didn't realize when i was 11 years old that hp lovecraft was a virulent racist yeah. <laughs> but 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 you know i yeah it's it's been a i think it's it's part of my DNA as well mm-hmm. as comedy. And it, yeah. When I was little, my grandpa owned a video store. And uh, so I would hang out there and I got to watch whatever I wanted because uh, that was easier than talking about my parents' divorce. So. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, you obviously you love horror. Uh, what's the first horror movie you remember seeing? Man, bits and pieces of things. Um, my mom would watch late night horror movies all the time. And by the way, we're talking like, you know, I was a child of the, I was born in 1969. So in the early 70s, you had horror hosts um, on late on Friday nights or Saturday nights. If you had lived in the right city, uh, you could turn to your UHF channel or something. There'd be a dude dressed up like Dracula and they would show you like a bunch of old Hammer films or AIP stuff. I got lucky and um, a lot of the stuff they started showing was from the late 60s, which was like, 
uh, Hammer films, anthology films. So the first thing I remember seeing that fucked me up was the, from the movie Asylum, uh, which was mm. an anthology film. I didn't realize it was an anthology film, but it's just a part of the movie where a guy hacks his wife to pieces and then wraps her in butcher paper and keeps her in the freezer. But then at some point she comes back all the pieces come back, wrapped in the butcher paper, just sort of bouncing around the house trying to get him and trying to reassemble. <laughs> that fucked me up. That fucked me up so bad. Uh, but, like, stuff like that that I saw. And my mom played into it. Like, I had, even as a baby, I had a whole shelf full of, like, glow-in-the-dark uh, uh, horror models, all the Ravel stuff. I had a poster of Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman over mm-hmm. my crib. <laughs> that glowed in the dark. <laughs> yeah. So it's just part of my DNA. I mean, I, I loved it. I, I tried to stay away from, I loved gore and stuff as a kid because, you know, it's the 80s. It was new, but I had a big thing about, like, I couldn't do, like, un, in, like violence against innocent. Like, I hated, I hated, like, the, I couldn't watch movies where it was just, like, hatred towards women. That's the one thing that being raised with a feminist was, like, that shit just isn't good. And the only movie that I never got to watch was Maniac was William mm-hmm. Lustig's Maniac. It's actually the first movie my mom ever popped out of a VCR. Mm-hmm. Like 10 minutes in, she was like, nope. And I'm like, good choice. This seems like it's going to suck. Yeah. But my 11th or 12th birthday, I remember she gifted me with, or it was my 13th birthday, she gifted me with a, a clamshell VHS box with no markings on it. And, I, and she made me dinner and let me sit on her bed and put the movie in and close the door. And it was a bootleg copy of Halloween that hadn't reached... Uh, video stores yet because it had just come out and somebody somebody at video only had they had all these bootlegs that they would you could buy out of the back of the store Mm -hmm. you just had to let them know what you wanted she'd ordered that like months ago and it was my special game i remember sitting and watching halloween by myself and then uh, and then i had to sleep in in my mom and dad's room every (laughs) night for about two weeks and they were like this is a terrible idea and i'm like this is a great idea do it again that's amazing. Yeah, Halloween is actually one of the first movies I ever watched. I, I mean, I didn't get the cool presentation of an early copy, but... Uh, I couldn't. They wouldn't take me to the theater to see it because my mom mm-hmm. was like, it's pretty intense. So she wanted to see it first, and then mm-hmm. she was like, all right, I think it'll be all right. Because mm-hmm. Slashers, that was a whole new thing. Like, that really hadn't happened at the time. I mean, it, there was some gritty, like, B-movie stuff that had come out before that that was just really heinous and cruel, but that mm-hmm. was this kind of mainstreaming you know, the sort of like lustig vibe of like, you know, you still have a final girl and you still have women are majority of the victims, but there's way less cruelty and misogyny in it. And especially because mm-hmm. Michael Myers isn't, I don't think he's a, I think he's just a genderless ghost. Yeah. Of a yeah. Person, he's supernatural so. now, yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's weird. I only enjoy like jump scares and gore if I'm at the theater and like having a communal experience with people where we all are like ah, yeah. but at home I like more of like a psychological thriller yeah I like to I like I really search high and low now for movies that will unsettle me you know and it's very it's very hard to find them movies that really shake me I mean uh, the last thing I think that saw me that, re- that I saw that really fucked me up is the dark and the wicked which I, I highly recommend if you're a horror mm-hmm. fan and you just want to be you want to feel uncomfortable? That is a great haunting movie, uh, and it, there's it's not it's bleak, and there's no explanation for what's happening. And it's the guy who did the Strangers, which if you've ever seen Ooh, the Strangers, yeah. that movie it's the same thing. There's no explanation. That's what makes it horrible. They never give you any expo- any exposition. 
They never go, hey, there's a, it's all, you'll feel better because you always feel better when you know what's causing pain. But there's nothing in this movie. It's just nonstop horror, like real horror. Mm. And I loved it. But, but also, you know, you got to not, you got to be into that thing before you just watch it. I know. I, I do love an explanation, like at the end of The Strangers. I would have given anything for even just, a, oh, his cousin sold him a bad snowmobile or like yeah. anything, but you know? Like, <laughs> I like that because it just it makes it makes it linger longer. And the <laughs> thing with horror that it's always unsettled me is, you know, the concept of loss of control. Yeah. That's always been hor- like real horror to me is when you don't have any um, re- uh, recourse. It's just something happening to you and you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. And and that's been the thing that's uh, and of course that probably comes from my abuse, but mm-hmm. I you know that's the that's the thing that I tethered that I'm tethered to when it comes to horror. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny as we I, it, side story because I wanted to mention this mm-hmm. is, uh, altercation festival we met a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so excited to see you do stand up, and then when I found out you were from Wisconsin, that took it up a notch because uh, <laughs> I had a story and I had to tell it on stage because I was like, there's only one chance to do this when you have someone from Wisconsin who's also a horror fan and 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 into uh, you know true crime uh, but I, I got on stage and I told a story of uh, my 12th birthday uh, my neighbor who had uh, got me into punk rock and, and true crime books got me a book on Ed Gein and I got so obsessed not with Ed Gein in the sense of like I love murder but like but being a child it was like what is like w- madness I've never been I've never I've never been exposed to madness, and so I became obsessed with the Ed Gein case and and what happened in Plainsfield. And on my twelfth birthday, my parents walked me next door to the neighbor's house, and they had a uh, they had the phone on the table, and they handed me the receiver. And on the other end of the receiver, uh, Ed Gein wished me a happy birthday. <laughs> wished me a happy birthday. The kids spent months setting this up, this elaborate scheme. To uh, lie to the hospital in Mendota, uh, uh, which I've had my uh, my pronunciation of that pr- uh, corrected by Wisconsinians, because uh, uh, I kept saying Mendota. Uh, I've never been there, but uh, uh, but he had been in the M- Mendota uh, State uh, Mental Hospital for a few years, and uh, and the, he had said, "Oh, he's got a long lost relative, and uh, it's his brother's, you know, uncle's kid, and he just wants to have a connection to everybody." And we know that Ed's very old, and we thought maybe he'd love to meet some family. And the hospital signed off on it because they were like, that'll be therapeutically well for Ed. And then uh, what I got was I got a phone call from an old man who just said, uh, hello, is this, hello, happy birthday. This is your Uncle Eddie. Uh, And they take good care of me here. And I was like, okay, well, uh, nice to hear from you. And he's like, well, happy birthday. I've got to go now. Okay, be good. Bye-bye. And then the nurse was like, thank you so much for calling. And then... Uh, and then I, I hung up and I was like, who was that? And they were like, Ed Gein. And then I shit my child pants. <laughs> and, uh, so they didn't tell you who it was? No, I, it was after oh, I got the happy birthday. God. Oh, wow. And then I was like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> As a kid, I was like, because this is before like, any of this stuff was a thing. Like This is before like serial killers were a thing mm-hmm. or like true. This is like. This was just like a maniac just said happy birthday to me. <laughs> and, and then when I got older, I was like, oh, this is kind of like meeting John Lennon before he joined the Beatles. But like in reverse, like in reverse. Thank you for sharing that Wisconsin <laughs> history. That's fun. Yeah. 
uh, I, I do talk about Ed in my act a little bit. I, I just have a throwaway line that we have a rich tradition of turning people into meals and furniture in Wisconsin. <laughs> and, and we love an arts and crafts project. <laughs> Nothing like an Amish chair made out of an actual Amish person. <laughs> <laughs> For us to talk about tonight, Derek has chosen 2001 Session 9. Who's seen it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I got to admit, I hadn't seen it before you recommended it. It kind of flies under the radar. Um, it was uh, uh, Brad Anderson's first big film, and uh, I remember seeing the trailers for it online early on in like 2000, and it really got me because of the, um, the, the found tape aspect where I was like oh it just seems really dark and gritty but also what is the film about like the mm -hmm. trailer was so well cut that I was very excited that maybe this movie will actually scare me yeah and uh and holy fuck and it's still like to this day I watch it once in a while when I want to get that chill down my back yeah it still works it's so good uh so this is a movie about a crew of men that are going to remove asbestos from a asylum that has been closed down and it's kind of just the interpersonal relationships starting to fray and then there is a you know we think maybe a possession happening of one of the crew and uh ends with a whole lot of murder yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you know because it, it, the whole movie really for me from the beginning is about um the intense pressure of having to uh, putting yourself in a, in a place where you have to uh, overextending yourself. And mm -hmm. the guy that runs the crew, Gordon, has promised the people at the Danvers Mental Facility, which has been closed down for years due to a large lawsuit over something that happened in the hospital that we later learn about. And uh, they need to remove all the asbestos. And he underbids uh, everybody bidding for that job uh, by telling them that they can remove the, all the asbestos from the walls in less than uh 10 days and so when he presents that to his crew they're like are you insane that's the hospital's nearly half a mile long and it's 17 floors and it's shaped like a bat wing and he's like we're just gonna have to go we have to because he needs the money he just had a baby right he's got a new family he's under intense pressure and that sets everything into motion because you're like oh now these guys have to be like now they just they have to be there Mm -hmm. And and this guy's everything's riding on this for this guy, and he is just overpromised uh, and put everyone in this position, which is incredibly dangerous, right? They're going to be around asbestos, and when you see the hospital and you see the asbestos tiles, you're like, oh fuck! Like it's everywhere, right? This is a huge job. So mm -hmm. that's step one. And then uh, when you meet all the crew and you realize how unstable these guys are, because that's what they do for a living. Yeah. It, it, watching this, I was like, I know these guys. <laughs> yeah. They're just they're you know they're they're sort of they're extreme dudes they they know there's a lot of money in that and it's dangerous and they're you know they're risk takers uh, and also they're idiots they're all idiots every one of them mm -hmm. is a fucking idiot and and uh, uh, the conceit that I love about that movie is that um, you you don't really ever know exactly what's happening until you kind of get to the last quarter of the movie because the tapes or sort of the linking ring, the DNA that sort of opens up the story, and no one else knows what's happening, but one of the guys just sneaks off after the first day and explores the hospital, and he uh, finds a basement room full of uh, tapes of interviews with all of the patients, and uh, one of the cases there is pretty famous, and it's a girl who murdered her whole family, and she had multiple personalities, and uh, he starts listening to the sessions, and sort of opens up a portal of sorts mm -hmm. by allowing this thing to still exist, these voices to be heard, this person to 
you know, to they're playing these tapes in a way sort of reawakens something. But, you know, spoiler alert, it was probably already there to begin with. Mm-hmm. And uh, and things just go fucking ha- they just go downhill fast. But it's all about for me, like it's all it's every fear. It's fear of the dark. Fear of, lo- you know, loss of control, um, claustrophobia, like every single one of those mm-hmm. fear, you know, every one of those is touched on in a really classic way. And um, the movie's funny because uh, there's really li- very little humor in it. And I think it's the only thing that, uh, um, uh, God damn, what's uh, CSI? I had to take it, uh, David Caruso. Oh, yeah. <laughs> David Caruso's in it, and it's right at the point when his career was about to get flushed down the toilet forever. And uh, uh, he had he had CIS Miami, but like that show is not great. And all his entire career now is just him pushing his glasses up and doing a punchline about somebody's unfortunate demise. Like, you know, oh, he's been cut in half. And he's like, oh, possessions, nine tenths of the law. And they're like, what the fuck does that mean? He's like, I don't know. Anyway, CSI Miami. And then but he did movies humorless, really. And, mm-hmm. and it really plays more on uh, on everyone's. Uh, you know their pressure, their fear, and and Gordon's uh, situation as he slowly starts to unravel. And that actor is so fucking good, uh, Peter Mullen, who plays the the main contractor, is a Scottish actor who just you're watching a dude just fall apart frame by frame in that movie. He just collapses in front of you, and parts of him are just sinking lower and lower and lower. And uh, and there's little clues to what happened in the movie that make it even worse. You know, and and but uh, the the voice I think is the most unsettling. Oh yeah, thing. the voice is the most unsettling thing. So one of the uh, personalities of the person who had been in the uh, asylum is Simon, and Simon comes out when the murder needs to happen, and the voice is like this. <laughs> I live in the weak and the willing, yes. like. <laughs> You just hear it kind of like yeah. throughout the movie. I love that there's a there's an extended scene where the uh, uh, a montage of the men all working in different parts of the hospital while Mike, one of the guys that sneaks off to the basement to listen to these tapes every day, is listening to the finally the doctor finally gets Simon to come out as one of the personalities and then he begins to describe what happened on Christmas night when uh, <laughs> when the girl that he's possessing gets angry at her brother. And then describes in great detail how he, uh, how she has murdered her entire family with a just a broken piece of uh, ceramic doll and just cut them to pieces. And you're seeing sort of snapshots of the photos, but his whole the whole time his voice is just like he couldn't stop stabbing. It felt so good to release the power. And you're like, why? It seems slow. Why is his voice so slow? Ah. It does sound like a little like a film snob. Like. Yeah. <laughs> The reason I didn't like Friday the 13th, too, is because... I've done a lot of horror conventions. I've met that dude. (laughs) I think uh, one of the themes that jumped out at me so much in this movie, just having grown up in Wisconsin, where all my relatives work in the mills, is this idea of sacrificing your own body for, you know, providing for your family. My dad was uh, almost killed in the mill he worked in after a propane tank caught fire and exploded, and that's kind of how I got working with unions and doing all that stuff. But the film really highlights you know, like what people are just expected to do, like be in there with this poisonous material and you got to have an exit plan after a few years uh, or, or you'll just die, you know. Yeah. But like, that's the economy. 
I mean, there's there's a especially with asbestos when they describe what it does to you in the movie. Mm-hmm. When when uh, when Mike describes to the Josh, the younger nephew of Gordon, G- Gordon hires his nephew as an idiot and also afraid of the dark to like work <laughs> for nothing. And uh, he he he's uh, claustrophobic and uh, afraid of the dark. And he's like, you don't want to get this stuff in you because you know the it just it it's a fiber that gets in your lungs and it just slowly starts to stop your air, p- blocks your airways and stops you c- from creating mucus. And the whole time there's just this shit is just falling from the ceiling. And he just keeps going. You got to wear your mask, but he's not wearing his mask either. Mm-hmm. And he's like, don't turn that music off. You don't want to. Any vibrations going to cause this shit to go in the air? And you're like, oh, my God, why are you idiots? Just break this. Why? Why would you want to do that job? Like, that's a job for robots. Yeah. And like the not wearing the PPE, like I experienced so much. I do a lot of occupational health yeah. and safety trainings. And it's always like, oh, I'm not I'm not a lady. I don't need to wear that. It's like, c- come on, just just wear the fucking PPE. That's what it's for. You don't need to, like, make a toxic masculinity thing out of it. Right. And those are the guys that if they like in, in real life, if those guys lived through that situation, they're the same guys that would go like, I'm not wearing a mask during COVID. I'm oh, yes. Nothing's going to kill me. And then. Uh, I say during COVID, I've heard uh, I'm not afraid to die at too many public meetings to ever feel safe in public again. (laughs) A real death wish out there. It's really funny when people say that and then you hide under their bed for six hours and wait for them to come (laughs) into the room and then reach up and grab their arm in their sleep. How much more afraid of death they really are that they didn't know that. They didn't know that. It was a fun the pastime I like to take after the uh, after lockdown to just do that. And anybody who didn't wear a mask, I'm just going to sneak into your house. I'm going to hide <laughs> under your bed. Now are you afraid to die? Usually I'd, I'd just reach up and hand them a mask. That's usually what did it. Love it. Love it. Uh, yeah, so just curious, you know, uh, what other themes jumped out at you? I mean, the, the big theme in this movie, is, and the thing that's always scared me is not being in control. Mm-hmm. And when you realize Gordon's uh, uh, predicament near the m- end of the movie, when you finally realize, like, oh, Gordon... Gordon's been carrying Simon around this entire time. Uh, mm-hmm. Spoiler, you, you watch it, you'll still love it. But Simon's been there the whole time. And, and when you realize Gordon's predicament that he's just allowed these things to happen and he can't stop them, and then when you realize how far things have gone without you, know, without you ever really knowing, you get clues, but you're like, oh, my God, it's so sad. Mm-hmm. There's this real tragedy in the movie where it's not, you know, it's not blistering horror, it's dark. It's just really dark and oppressive. And there's no escape from it. And that feeling of, of waking up and going, what have I done? You mm. know, that I didn't have control over myself. Ooh, That's a big yeah. fear to, to realize, like to look behind you and go, oh, my God, my family. What have I done? That scene where he pulls up in the truck and it's just a blue filter on everything and it's raining and he's scared and he's under pressure, but he's got flowers for his wife. Mm-hmm. because in the, you hear the conversation in his head that he's already had with her about her not wanting to take this job, and they need money, and they've got a new baby, and then the screaming that happens in his head, and then the baby's screaming, and you're like, something happened in that house. Yeah. And then the pot of water, the boiling water, that, and, and then Gordon's got a burn on his leg, but he keeps calling his wife to check in and let her know everything's going to be okay. Wendy, Wendy, everything, you're, you're okay, Wendy? Wendy, everything all right? And then that scene where he calls her and you realize his cell phone's just broken to shit. And he's yeah. the whole time he's just been calling her on a broken cell phone. And you never hear Wendy. You <laughs> never hear Wendy. And that, that realization where you're like, oh, Wendy and that baby are dead. And he's been sleeping in his truck 
mm-hmm. on the property the whole fucking time. And yeah, it gets real dark. Yeah, it's super dark. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I love it in the sense that, like, every time I watch it, it still scares me because I'm like, that's a kind of loneliness and 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 loss of control. That that's the thing that scares me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's all about isolation and. There's some really, some really tough themes in there, but especially just phobias, yeah, and fear. I I felt uh, a certain kinship with Gordon with because uh, he used to black out a lot, and then there's that moment of yeah. like, what did I do? Yeah, I mean, I never did anything like this, obviously. I shit in the shower once, but I mean, like you know, like <laughs> I did that in a blackout, and that was the most horror. I was just like, that happened. I did that. Oh God, who am I? <laughs> Why? It's time to get sober. You know, this always feels weird to ask because it is a horror movie. Uh, but what were your favorite parts? Okay, there's three parts of that movie that I really love a lot. Um, the first one, of course, is the scene where Gordon's outside in the truck, and and Simon is sort of is sort of pops in out of nowhere and just says, "Do it, Gordon." Mm-hmm. You just hear the voice, "Do it, Gordon," and you're like, "Do what? What the fuck?" And then uh, and then you're left to kind of guess what's happening, but. But then when um, I don't remember the Josh Lucas's character, he just plays this brash fucking uh, rich kid. He found a treasure trove in the basement of this hospital and uh, breaking through a wall. All these coins fall out, gold coins. And he's like, holy fuck, that's a lot of money. And he's going to he wants to get the fuck out of there. He doesn't want to live that life anyways. So he sneaks back into the hospital late at night with a flashlight in the pitch dark and the whole time you're like, oh, I can't. I mean, it's so it's shot so well. Mm-hmm. And then he finds that treasure trove and starts packing coins in there. And then you realize there's also teeth and there's and then when they pan to the other side of the wall, it's the cream cremation oven. It's the filter, the cream, just filled with money. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, uh, and then he turns around in the dark because he hears somebody and he's like, what are you doing here? And then you don't see him again until near the end of the movie when he just is standing in a place going, what are you doing here? And you realize what happened to him, which is, I think, probably worse than death. Yeah. What happened to uh, him is way worse than death. They take off his sunglasses and it is revealed he's got a lobotomy pick through his eye. Someone someone came in and popped a, yeah, a, a, a giant uh, needle through the opening where his eye and his uh, sinus cavity is and scrambled his brain. And... Uh, and then that happens to Larry Fessenden. My third favorite scene in the movie is when uh, the guy that they hired at the last minute to fill in the job is Larry Fessenden, which I don't know if you know who that is, but it's one of my favorite fucking character actors and also a great director. But he shows up in horror movies and just gets murdered. <laughs> and he shows up as a contractor. Yeah. First day of work. First day of work and like Gordon's standing minutes. there. No one else is there. There's blood everywhere, by the way. And then he's like, he's getting unpacked and talking to Gordon about getting this job done. And Gordon just comes up behind him and holds him and then just slowly puts the needle in his fucking eye and scrambles his brains. And then uh, and then you hear Simon uh, at the end of the movie just telling us to, you know, talking about his what his thing is. Yeah. You know, Simon just decompressing about his day. Yeah, just decompressing, <laughs> leaving Gordon to live in the hospital, basically, just leaving him in a, in a room full of pictures of his kids and his wife. And yeah. And then we pan away from the hospital and you're like, I'm empty inside. <laughs> it's so good. chilling. <laughs> that to me is horror. You know, yeah. like that's real yeah. horror. And yeah, that definitely sat with you for a while after yeah. watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So any uh, any final thoughts on session nine? I, you know, Brad Anderson's done some OK things since. I think it's a, um, a fluke at how well it's done. And also uh, it wasn't really supposed to be the movie that he made. 
mm-hmm. because they uh, they actually had another actress in the movie who um, plays an inmate at the asylum who has been living there the entire time, and she's been committing the murders, and you're seeing things through her eyes. And one time they assembled a rough cut of the film without any of her scenes in it and realized, oh, this is an even scarier movie because there's nobody doing this. Like That's wild. Yeah, and then they, they, the guy, one of the guys, the guy who plays Mike is the co-writer of the movie and was like, well, maybe what we'll do is the conceit is the tapes. And so they kind of rewrote this n- different narrative and the movie took on a much better, longer life of its own. Like it still has a much better impact. But Brad Anderson's done some great stuff, but nothing like that that scared me since. Yeah, I got to say, if I was on the crew, uh, I'd be pissed at Mike. Mike spent the whole time listening to tapes <laughs> and never actually doing asbestos <laughs> removal. Um, also, I feel like one of the big themes was, uh, you know, you have Jeff, who is Gordon's nephew and, you know, the ultimate terror of working with the boss's nephew. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> never great. Oh, that that <laughs> scene where he's running through the bay. He has a Ooh, fear of the good. dark is a yeah. abs- like absolute ang- like phobia of the dark and it's crippling. And uh, he's running through a hall to go get uh, return on the generator. He's got to go turn on the generator. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, oh, shit, it's just a long hallway full of uh uh, fucking hazmat suits hanging in the basement and as he's running at like walking back all the lights start turning off faster and faster and he can't get out of the basement and he doesn't know his way out and that fear of like when he finally he just sort of like erupts in drywall dust yeah out of the basement like Wah! <laughs> and the whole time you're like oh shit and then i think it's t- seconds after that he's murdered he gets an oreo <laughs> from the van and he sees the murderer coming towards him and he's like oh i'm sorry i took an oreo and then just stab <laughs> don't touch people's cookies that's right <laughs> so what's going on what's coming up that you want people to know about you know uh, i mean i gotta I'm, I'm doing a bunch of festivals this year which is great it, getting my foot back out there uh trying to finish this hour of like you know darker stuff that i think is going to be the going to be my last note on on the last three or four years but i want to get it out i'm starting to do little theaters and take it out and as mm-hmm. a piece instead of a comedy club thing because it's kind of dark and you don't want to just inflict that on comedy audiences who are like this seems like fun and you're like these tattoos came when my mom died and uh, <laughs> uh so fun stuff I, uh, I love your brand of comedy though i think creating that space makes people feel more open and at home expressing you know the shit they've gone through i mean if we're all just like pretending to be happy all the time and being you know with puppets or whatever like that's not real <laughs> yeah and, and i've always liked i mean my my style of you know of humor is, is trying to be relatable in that sense that like none of this stuff is unique to me mm-hmm. and i also don't like to have like it's it's victimless in the sense that it's all from my perspective i never like being dark just to make people feel oogie mm-hmm. i want them to feel like hey, you can talk about this stuff and it's and there is humor in it, and you just have to find it. You got to turn things over. You got to roll the body over, and see if it's <laughs> smiling. And well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Clap it up for Derek Thanks Sheen, for having me. Becky Bronstein, Joanne Schinderly. Uh, that's been Bloody Mary. I've been Kristen Lighty. Have a good night. Yeah.